and welcome back or welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined by my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Marcus. John, we got a very, very special guest on today, which I'm excited to talk about. How's things going? Oh, it's going great. That's why we brought our guest on, to give the people what they want. That's right. Inside info. Before we get to our guest, just a reminder, if you haven't yet, check out the Scholar program where we have, you know, training on everything. It's your one-stop shop for coaches education with literally hundreds of articles, podcasts, downloads, training programs, everything elite running. So without further ado, let's get to our guest, the wonderful Danny Mackey has joined us. Danny is just coming off doing something amazing, which is coaching an athlete to a Olympic medal. So we are fortunate to have him. Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Glad to be here. Us too, Danny. Us too. <laughs> yeah. The inside joke that people are probably noticing, it took 32 minutes for this to happen because of uh, Chrome. Well, I blame this podcast because they use this weird uh, app, but I needed to download Chrome <laughs> and every device I owned and borrow computers. I was about ready to go down the street and see if my neighbor had it. <laughs> had a yeah, working the, device the, over the, here. Behind the scenes here. But you know that yeah. the... The good thing, Danny, is it shows what makes you a great coach. Resiliency, solution-oriented. <laughs> yeah. He was not going to give up on this. I love it. It is true. Not one of us said we're going to stop. Yeah, it's true. All right, well, let's <clears> just <throat> jump into it. Danny, give us a secret recipe. How did Josh Kerr win a medal? Go. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, nobody's asked me this yet. So uh took a lot of – well – I'm assuming um, that this is a pretty common theme. Yeah, there isn't a secret recipe for it. <gasps> Shock so, and surprise. Yeah, could take a while to talk about. <laughs> to, to Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Kerr's path and your journey with sure. him towards yeah. this medal. Because that, I think, is the interesting thing, the ups as well as the downs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's not uh, – usually really good athletes don't have a ton of downs, but um, – Josh has had a little bit of his, his downs. And so, uh, and I think anytime, I think anytime something really big happens, that's really good. I, there, there is a little bit of element of fortune. Um, I call it blessing just because of my belief system. Uh, but, uh, I think the point is, is that understanding that some of it, a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with what we think we can control. And so, uh, yeah, that, that helps with a little bit of humility. Um, one of the conversations that Josh and I had right before his final was was that. It uh, was like, hey, this is awesome that you're – it's August 7th and you're healthy and you're peaking and the, that you made it this far and literally thank God for being at this point. And so that's, that's true. So, you know, we could talk about this for an hour. And we only have, what, 10 months of the World Championships again, or 11. And we could do everything exactly the same from a process standpoint. And, you know, Josh might not even make the team next year. So it's it's really hard to replicate these things. But I think that that genuine mindset and approach that um, Josh has and I have, I think understanding that there's a lot out of our control, that I think that actually is an advantage for us. Um, 
But the other thing is that I wouldn't have probably, I wouldn't have met him if it wasn't for the stuff that our team does anyways, because we're in Albuquerque a lot for altitude training. And so Josh went to University of New Mexico. So, um, you know, I saw him when he was, uh, what's the, what's the only, as a male coach, I can't say overweight. Um, he was a big guy in, uh, <laughs> at UNM and Josh would a hundred percent admit that and talk about it. Cause he's really open with it. And Joe, Joe Franklin, the head coach there and Laura Bowman, the, the assistant head coach there. Like we, we talk about that. Josh's family, his brother's a pro rugby player. He's probably, his brother is probably, I think he's 240 or 50 pounds and plays rugby. This is an aside, but uh, when Josh was back for UK champs, like seven, eight weeks ago, his brother did a 10 mile run with Josh at 7.15 pace. Whoa. Does not run. Just off the couch. Uh, he plays, he's a pro rugby player. That's, that's what I mean, he just not training to run 10 yes. miles. Just, hey, I'm going to go run with you, Josh. So wow. when Josh was a freshman, I think he, I have to ask him again because it's been a while. I want to say he probably weighed like 190 or something like that. And um, I saw him running a 300 and he looked awesome doing it. And so Joe and I were talking because we're at the track so much. And um, and Joe, I was like, that kid's pretty good. And he goes, yeah, he's going to be really good. And I, and if you know Joe Franklin, I'm like, how the heck did you find him? Like he's from the UK and all these things. And that's that's just Joe doing Joe things. He just gets these gems somehow. So, uh, so that, that was helpful because we just had a relationship. And then, um, the other unique thing about, thing about Josh was we started recruiting him when he was a junior. So he was, um, he, there's, he was graduating and stuff like that. And so, you know, we had to talk to the compliance and his family was involved, Josh's. And so, uh, those things made it a little bit unique, but Josh's junior year, we had, because I liked his personality so much, I liked how he approached the sport. I thought Joe was doing a phenomenal, and Laura were doing a phenomenal job with Josh. So by that, I mean, he wasn't like overtrained in any way. And if you know the UNM training program, it's actually like the nuts and bolts of it are really solid, but that's kind of all they care about. And so that's a really good athlete to kind of take on, I think, as a pro, because they're um, there's a lot of things they haven't done, but they understand the basics really well. And um, yeah, so we offered the contract and then Josh gets gets his butt beat in an NCAA final, you know? So I'm like, oh man, what what Brooks is going to think? Because I think uh, two guys beat him. And so, uh, yeah, and in his first world championships um, the year before, he got knocked out in the first round. I think he got like second or third to last. So, you know, he's, he's had to kind of, he hasn't, he's obviously super talented because he's winning. He won a title as a sophomore. He beat Cesarek in the mile, which was one of the coolest races that I think a lot of people have seen in the last couple of years. And he'd run quick because uh, he ran 335 in college, which at that point was NCAA record. Yeah. Was that, that was pre-Super Shoe era too, like, right? What's that? That was pre-Super Shoe era. Pre-Super Shoe. Yeah. But his... You know, his, uh, I talked about this in an Instagram post, but like his, his progression is not just, it's not just rocket ship. Um, he only beat like 12 people in NCAA cross. He's 224th. And so <laughs> he tried to double once at NCAAs and he, uh, lost the DMR for his team. I don't remember that. That was his, that was the year we signed him. And, um, he had to come back from that. And like, so 
those things are good things. Um, I think because his first round was pretty rough. Um, and yeah, those are, those are like just some of the print, the basics attributes about him that I think were good. And as you kind of scaffold now, we've been working together for over three years that when we get to like dealing with stuff with the pandemic or little things that might be nuances with my coaching style, you know, one of those is, um, you know, we've passed on Monaco two years now and, uh, you know, him being like good with that is helpful because it's hard, you know, athletes want to do these things that they think are going to get them popular, but Josh just doesn't care about that. And, uh, it makes coaching him has been this very interesting dichotomy because he's really hard to coach. And the reason why he's really hard to coach is because he makes it so easy. So then I understand that if I mess something up, I'm actually messing it up and I'm going to hurt this guy's career because he's going to listen to everything I'm saying. So it's kind of this like split thing where I'm like, oh man, um, I really got to do this right with him. Uh, so yeah, he, I don't know, I can keep kind of rambling, but that's a little bit of like the beginning of, of, of coaching him and meeting him. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. You bring up a lot of things there, Danny, that I want to touch on. Um, and I'm going to jump around a little bit. But you mentioned there the first round, okay, where for listeners, probably everyone knows, but squeaks in essentially on on a little cue, right? Um, and the first thing I thought about when I saw that when talking with other track nerd friends was that DMR at NCAAs, right? Where DMR struggles and then bounces back, you know, for the mile and figures it out. Um, what do you think, like having that experience and not having that smooth, smooth, like everything's always right. Everything's always on. Like I'm going to be all right. Because a lot of people that could unravel, right? You, you're at the Olympics. You get in on the small queue. Like confidence starts to plummet. Maybe talk a little bit about that and how you handled that. So I, th- I think there, there's a few things in there. One is he, when he struggled in that DMR, and that's hard too because his team was riding on him. Yeah. So there's a if you know Josh, he's a very very big team person. So that's gonna hit him harder. He, he figured it out then. So, you know, I don't know if that was how helpful that was for the Olympics. The thing is probably rewinding it a little bit, even to how his family is. Like I, so the thing about with the thing that was interesting with Josh, because of his age and his parents, his dad was a semi pro rugby player. And like I said, his bro, brother's a pro rugby player. And so that actually means a lot because his brother's, fairly like over there in UK is like, that's a bigger deal. So they've had a little bit of experience with this and his mom's a very good physiotherapist. So they have like this kind of concept around sports. And I think that has been pretty helpful. So they, whatever they did raising him, I think was a huge factor. Um, and so he's always, it's interesting with Josh is, if he has a rough, really, if he has a rough workout, that's important. It really bothers him, but he lets it go pretty quickly. 
there's some athletes that I have, um, thankfully not many, because I think this is a really bad quality for them if they want to be successful, is something's not going well, we talk about it. Oh yeah, so one of our jobs as a coach is to just reframe, you know, reframe perspective, and you that that kind of that is in colored in almost any silo in terms of high performance you know the silos could be you know like the, the training physical training mental approach the periodization like all these things we're trying to re reframe perspective and then give that so he's when something doesn't go well talk to me hopefully i'm not i'm not biased i'm trying to control the bias that i have and that's that's one of my jobs be really objective be really honest with him or any athlete and he will like you know you can tell like if you two you two are both coaches if you talk if you were to talk to him about something like that like he'd be looking you in the eye and be listening and he actually does listen and so you know something simple that we've probably all done is like hey like be mad about this today but tomorrow we got to just start over and I have a few athletes that that's just not happening and they almost seem like they want to be mad and want to beat themselves up with Josh. It's even in workouts, it's the next day he's fine. And I was like, okay, we're going to tackle the next workout. Next time we have this type of workout or the tempo run over it is, you know, we're going to do it better and here's how we're going to do it. And he will just, he goes and looks towards the next milestone. So in the rounds, uh, and we have humor with it too. He's run some like pretty bad tempo runs. And so, uh, it, the, that, that humor was helpful. Cause like I made fun of him, um, for that, because he like, I just super stressed her about, and I was like, Josh, this is just starting to meet up. I was like, come on, man. I was like, Marta, Marta gets tripped the day before you do this. I was like, we got to kind of make it a little easier on myself. And, um, he was just laughing a little bit. And then, you know, and then we get tactical and say, okay, well, what did you do here? And you know, we, we talked about some of the errors that he made and a little bit was more just in his like psychological uh, approach to it. And then some of that, some of his first round was on me. And so I think because we, this stuff happens in practice where, you know, one out of every 10, nine workouts don't go well. So we have these types of conversations. And so it's, we know we have a little bit of a map for that. And one of the things we talk about a lot is like, I know the Olympics are different, but we prep to be ready for these situations. So at least from a preparation standpoint, um, this isn't that different. We've had bad day, bad, really bad Mondays or Tuesdays and Friday's workout has been phenomenal. We know that. So this is a, some version of that. And I, and because I also, um, explain to him and everybody else in a team, like why we're doing what we do and, and people, some people need more, some people need less, but they at least know what I'm thinking. I told him, um, I had, I don't, I don't know how accurate this is, but, uh, um, you know, he ran well in the final, so you could say at least it wasn't super off, but I, I was a little worried with how the days were spread out. Cause usually, um, it's days one, two, and four for around 15, how they did it this year. And I don't know if it's cause of COVID, but it was with days one, three, five. And so you're looking at like a six day stretch where they're pre-racing, racing, and they just roll with that. So I intentionally did some things differently in his pre-race for the prelims and cut out some stuff because um, I wanted his nerve. I was okay with his nervous system being flat. Um, 
and I basically was thinking like, once I turn it on, I want it on and I didn't want it on for six days. I was like, I can maybe do it for four or five. Cause I was worried by that final. He could be, it could be too much. Um, especially for Josh, you know, maybe somebody like Kidder, you could just leave it on for probably two weeks. He just seems like he's pretty where Josh, Josh can get really tired. So I, I, I don't know because we've never been there, but from his training, I was like, this is what we're going to do. And so, you know, some of it was honest. I told him like, I think this is on me a little bit. Now you could have approached it differently mentally and you probably would have gotten fourth, but felt and felt like shit. But you know, you pair feeling bad on top of feeling bad physically flat on top of like going in there pretty hectic. And you know, this is the outcome that we get. So, you know, he was like, yeah, listen to it. And, and, um, you know, the other thing I do is we outsource. So we have a really great guy that we work with, um, in Albuquerque, uh, Jose, who helps Josh as well. And so we just kind of made sure that we reframed quickly. And when we talked, uh, the next day, um, you know, for the semi, it was not anything different. And like the conversation wasn't like fatalistic. And I was like, you're probably going to feel better. If you feel better physically on top of having the mindset you have now, you're going to be fine. And, and sure enough, he looked good in a semi. Yeah, Danny, that's really, he, really powerful, but really subtle, that reappraisal process and then sh- being able, Josh, being able to move forward and be in the moment rather than um, kind of uh, ruminate on what happened in the past. It's, I mean, I think that's one of the like lost arts and skills of competing at this level that people don't understand. I agree. I, this is a little bit of a working theory that I don't know. I mean, sometimes you come up with thoughts on your own. You guys do that a lot. So for me, that's a bigger deal. I don't have that many novel ideas, but uh, I've been talking with the team a little bit about it just in the last like five or six weeks. And it, it, it spurred from, um, I, I love watching MMA and uh, particularly the promotion UFC and so there's a couple fighters that I really like, and they're not probably people that a lot of people would like. And I'm like, well, why do I like them? And one of the things I that I've noticed is they're not they're really really high level, but they're not scared to lose, and they're really damn competitive. And so I've been talking to a few. I talked a lot of it to this, with Marta Penn, who was in the Olympics also, and I think about some of the stuff with. Um, you know, drugs and what's why some of them take performance enhancing drugs. And one of the arguments is like, oh, they're just so competitive. And I'm like, I, this has never sat well with me. Why? And I don't know why. And so just those two kind of thoughts in my mind. And I, 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 I my theory, I need to really think through more is, is that a, a true competitor actually is a very accepting of losing, which doesn't make sense at first. To, to a lot of people or to me, it didn't. It's like, so Josh was, he's super competitive. And even as a coach, like I don't live through my the athletes that I work with, but I'm super competitive. And so I think we had to go in with to it knowing that he could knock out in the first round. That's a possibility, even though he's super fit. And we have to kind of race with that mindset that like, hey, we might lose. It might beat us and, and be really accepting of it. And I think that in turn makes people better competitors. There's a little bit of people talk about fear of failure. It's not really like 
being scared, you know, like that it's, it is, that's part of that, but there's a little bit deeper level to it. And I just probably, I, I think that that helps when things aren't going well, because you're ready to some degree accept that, that that could be an outcome. And, uh, when it doesn't go the way that you want, you have like this kind of flow freedom with it from like a macro level. I know you've talked a lot about this, Steve, but I'm looking at like the flow from like days, a couple of days, and then how that you can use that as an advantage when you're having to navigate rounds and stuff like that. Dan, you're, oh, go, yeah, you're spot on too. The, the science is clear. There's like different ways you can orient goals, right? And you have a kind of result orientation that when it all costs, like all that matters is a placing. But what you're describing is more that performance orientation of let's see what we can do. Let's see what it looks like for me as a competitor to get the most out of myself on this day in this experience, in this match, in this round, et cetera. And, and the, the one thing I'd add there, and I think this is really important because, you know, you're getting at like one of the central myths of like high level performance, which is like people carry around this idea that like, oh, to be like one of the best, like I have to have winning be the only thing and be super competitive in this 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 form that is like you know it's do or die or win or you know or the other side's not option and i think what you're you're showing here which is also what the research pretty clearly states is that you know it's about freeing yourself up to perform and and some of that freedom comes from like that humility you've described throughout this that like acceptance that like you know if we lose, like, yeah, it's going to suck, but it's a possibility. And I feel like when you accept that and you have that notion that it, it, then it like takes power away from that, that thing, from like that fear from this, like have to, and instead you're a place where you're approaching it from like a want to, if that makes sense. Yeah, there totally. So like the, in a, in a fight, like competition, I saw the athlete like who had everything to lose, no reason for him to do this, been a three-time champion and, you know, almost a billionaire. And I saw him going out there just like almost like a sparring match, like loose and throwing moves and taking some risks. And I'm like, it's pretty remarkable that you would, that you're looking at it that way and you're trying to win. You're going to do all these things to try to win. And, you lose and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to try differently next time. And I'm, I'm simple oversimplifying it, but you can see it in that kind of like setting. Well, I can, and that's why, um, you know, with the athletes from the running standpoint, I, I'm just telling them like, is the agreement that you have when you enter the arena is you might lose. That's what you're signing up for. And so, um, to not talk about it is a problem because it's probably going to come across in your mind. Uh, at some point during a race, especially in Josh's case, where he made that move 500 out, he's way too aggressive. Because he's probably thinking like, oh shit, this is faster than I thought. I don't feel good. I'm going to force it. And uh, yeah, that made things worse. It kind of just snowballed on him a little bit. Um, now he was fit enough to be able to run 336-2, doing all, you know, made about eight moves that were bad, but um, which I did tell him. I was like, that shows how fit you are. So, you know, this is a little bit of a, a positive. 
but yeah, it helped him be pretty relaxed. And, and same with Marta too. Like she, I think was, that's the most relaxed I've had her racing in the two, three years I've been working with her. And, um, and, and, you know, for it, it, it starts, that I think starts from a coaching standpoint because they see how, uh, I respond when they don't run well. They see how I respond when other athletes don't run well. Um, you know, it's not like we've, our first meet was horrible in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the whole team. I remember, and, I remember uh, everyone's like, what's up with Brooks beast. They just look like, I mean, that's normal. That's a normal thing, but it was stinkier, <laughs> than, stinkier turds than usual. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I had to laugh cause I don't go on those things and the team does. And they're like, well, nobody's seen how good we were doing now. And I was like, Oh, it doesn't work that way. Man. No, it it's doesn't. Yes. Right. So, yeah. We're um, all three of us are in that. Uh, yes. Uh, get shit on camp yeah. if you will. So yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, yeah. We're literally one, one athlete out of the 13 is not running really well right now, which is, and uh, it's funny. Um, so if they run poor this weekend, back to being awful again. But, uh, it, when they ran bad in March, I just fucked, I took it on the chin. We had two people run well. And I was like, there's some reasons why we had bad weather. Uh, we haven't raced in 10 months. Like those are reasonable reasons why we wouldn't run well. I was like, and I was like, I probably underestimated a little bit of the psychological intensity and you came in not ready for like battle hardened. And, uh, I was like, it's part of it. I don't care that much. I know we're good. Like that's just, and, and so I think, you know, the athletes make fun of me a little bit for being like super pragmatic, overly pragmatic, unemotional about things. Um, and there's a reason why I'm like that. Well, some of it's just how I am, but there is a reason why I'm like, I used to be insecure about, it. I guess that's why I was bringing this up because, you know, some athletes are like, I need you being more of like believing in me. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I do believe in you. Well, we need to be more like boisterous. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's going to help you. And, and that was, you know, four years ago when I had a couple athletes that were really frustrated. And, and one of my good friends, uh, Paul Gamble, Dr. Paul Gamble just came out with uh, some writings about being a cheerleader coach and how much of a problem that is for long-term development. So, you know, so now I'm like a little bit less secure about it, but having that consistency, where they know that I'm pissed because they were not performing the way we can, but I give it a day and then it's solution oriented. It's like, well, what are we going to do in May? Now there's a little bit more pressure because we ran terrible in March or race terrible workouts are going well. And so let's rally around it. And, and again, it's like when you have that conversation at the, the micro level with Josh, he's, he's seen it like play out in real time macro wise. And, you know, then the words I use to him matter because it's, I don't say that many things that are like, you're awesome. I I say it when, when it makes sense to say it. And so, uh, you know, those help because if you start kind of doing fallacies and putting band-aids or trying to slow the, the, the dam or slow the bleeding a lot, when you really need those tools, they're not going to stick as well. And you need them in the Olympics, you know, like that's when you, that, that shit needs to stick. So um, you know, so we, we practice that a lot and, and like, a, you know, we, I can joke around about some of the stuff on the message boards, but like, I really don't care on the flip side of it. When somebody runs really well, I'm so happy for Josh, 
but I also don't really care. Like I was at practice on Monday. I didn't even talk about it because they got a race in Memphis. And I, one of the things, the only thing I said, I was like, this is a long season. You are running so well right now as a group. We have a lot of work to do the next 12 days. So I don't give a shit about Tokyo. We got stuff to do. You've worked way too hard to let things slip now. That's like an October conversation that I'd have to, you know? So it's like, you just keep kind of going back to it. Um, and those are things that I think like we all know, but it's nice when things go well, because then you can kind of be a little bit as a coach, be a little bit more anchored in those, those ph philosophical points. Cause you know, they work. Yeah. That, those are some great things you bring up, Danny. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we're, we're a similar mindset. So I've had that similar critique of like showing. Oh yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, showing me the, yeah. the belief emotion of it. And I think it's interesting, though, too, because I think it's part of it is a little societal because we went in the 80s, 90s through 2000s. We went through this like big self-esteem movement, right? Where it's like, just tell everyone they're great. And what we've clearly, re you know, realized and re research again has shown is that like, telling people they're great that you believe them in them doesn't really work like the brain is smart enough to know <clears throat> know when it deserves that and when it's just like you know a facade when it's just like oh this is like you know oh you're telling me great because you believe in self-esteem and you're trying to build it up like it's when it's earned like it matters and it has that impact and when it's not you know, it kind of goes in one ear or one, out the other, and it doesn't have that impact that I think a lot of young athletes think it does. So that's a really interesting, um, you know, insight. Yeah, the athletes you that you know, I have advantage over you, you guys. I don't, I don't, I don't have like. Uh, well, the athletes I work with are older, and they've had to make it through the college and NCAA system, so they're kind of battle tested. And if they're good at the NCAA, then like I said, with Josh, he has these, he had these tools that were there, you know, from genetics, from how he was raised. So by the time I got him, I'm not working with like somebody who likely has low self-esteem. You don't win a couple titles likely if you have that And the athletes that, you know, wanted that, like to be told they're great all the time. They, 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 um, and this is okay to say, they just weren't, they just didn't perform well. And they, when they left, they didn't either. And that's, but that's okay. <laughs> it's like, this job is really hard. You know, I, I struggled with that earlier in my career when I was racing and I'm not nearly the, the, didn't have the pressure they do. So yeah, I think the ones that can have that a little bit innately when, when you coach in that way, it just enhances it. And there's a reason why the research supports what we're talking about. And that the athletes that are more talented are kind of high responders to even that not just like the tempo runs or the speed work or the weight room to, to the, the philosophical, um, psychological aspects of it, they respond well to it. You know, like, um, it's when we had our pre-race meetings for the semi and final, like I said, Josh is really easy and really hard in the semi. He was like, Oh, I, I was thinking there's three things you told me. And so that's what he was telling me right after the semi. So then you're, then if you're, if you care and you do want to win and you have this guy that's 23, who's really fit, you're like, yeah, he's 23 and fit and 
he's get, probably has a couple of years, but most people aren't Nick Willis. And so you never know. And so you're, I was like, man, I better, I got to have a plan here. And, uh, I watched the semi each round a couple times, um, to see what people were doing, how they're feeling. I watched the women's final the day before, you know, and prayed about it a lot. And, um, I didn't bother you two. I bothered Path, Dan Path, and just went through like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And, you know, Dan had some good perspective because he's out, outside of it. Um, and you know, Josh and I had our, our meeting and he executed the plan to a T. And my first thought was, shit, I, I should have told him to go earlier because he could have gotten chariot. That was my first thought, which is like, <laughs> it's like, you know, can you enjoy it was like part of my other brain. And, uh, and then my second thought was not even positive either. I was like, gosh, damn, he was close to Coe's, or he's close to Moe's record. And I laughed because Josh called me from the track and that was his first thought, two things. It wasn't like, congrats on the bronze. He's like, I have gone a little earlier. I felt pretty good at the end. And he goes, and I'm only 0.2 from Coe, uh, from Moe's 1500 reader record. And then the third thing was like, that was amazing, man. Yeah. But uh, because he was, he had the plan. That's the other thing too about him is like, he, and we talk about contingencies and, and, um, this and that. And one of, one of my friends, Greg Jackson, who's the head coach over at Jackson's in, uh, Albuquerque, they've coached, I think, I don't know, 10, 11 UFC champions. So he talks to the team every year. One of the things he said, he goes, you, we plan for the worst. We always talk about like, okay, so you're in here, you have this strategy fighting super technical and uh you know the, the low leg kicks what we're going for you throw it they check it immediately you throw it again they check it again you throw it a third time they check it now they counter and you're like oh shit my plan they have an exact problem for that and so how do you how do you what are we going to do now and so we we have that like okay this is going terribly what are we going to do so josh had flexibility and i tell them all the time uh i mean it like Hey, these are the plans or this is the plan. This is what might happen because it's a race. This is why people love watching it because who knows. And so this, this could, you know, be there makes sure we had some looks at it. We've thought about it. And then the third thing is like, we, we practice so much. The reason why you're here, why you are here is not just your team. It's not just the staff. It's not your parents. You've like done so many things, right? So if you're trying to keep your head above water in the race, like trust your gut you go with your first thought every time because you're smart and you'll figure it out. And I trust you. So if this plan seems like shit 400 meters in and you go for it, hope it works. If it doesn't work, I'm going to be the first one that gives you a hug and say, okay, well, we're going to try it again next time. And so, you know, with Josh, like thankfully what our, we first thought was going to happen happened and he executed it really well. Um, and so a, a lot of people don't do that either. You know, we have a plan. You, you watch, you guys coach. I mean, we watch him. Oh, what yeah. the hell are you doing? We can talk about that. <laughs> you know, and it's not Josh. Usually he's he's kind of on it. And so, you know, what you, he, he thinks about it and will hold hold his hand in the fire a little bit. So, because he was 11th at 400 meters. Yeah. I mean, Dan, what you just said, profound on a lot of levels. So, one, it's what I found, too, coaching a lot of developmental athletes and athletes along that spectrum is the people who are better with uncertainty and have a, like, you know, um, if, when plan, if this happens or when this happens, then I'm going to do, or try to do that. They who have, you know, more disaster planning scenarios, so to speak, tend to do a little bit better in the, 
um, you know, the fog of competition or the fog of chaos, right? If we have John Boyce Udaluk uh, as an anchor there. And then two, the capacity to say, I trust you, right? And to turn over the autonomy to the athlete, to execute the plan, yes, but also make revisions in real time. That's pretty empowering. And what you've described really here, and which I hope listeners really take home, is this is the process-oriented approach being manifested and executed in to great success. And it's this mindset of how do we get better, not being discontent with it, but just looking for those performance gaps. And a lot of times we think it's physical, right? And all of us here have understood, even when we coach, say, lower talented or more developmental or younger athletes, nine times out of 10, the physical tools aren't the key thing that's holding that person back from manifesting their ability. It is between the ears, the mental tools. And I remember, you know, this fighter's mindset, we've talked about this a lot, you know, athletes that we've watched or athletes we've worked with and just, they don't have it. They don't have the juice, right? They don't have the fighter's mindset. And the hardest part is how do you get the athlete, that person you're working with to click into a fighter's mindset? And the strategy is different for every, for every person, but you have to know, like, you don't have that fighter's attitude when you're going into, you know, the steepest competition or even, you know, uh, earlier competition that are more rehearsal competitions. It's not just going to magically um, dawn upon you. So I'm curious, you know, in practice, let's talk about a little bit of that. How do you, you know, build that bridge for those athletes who might um, be a little bit more hesitant, a little bit more reticent, a little bit um you know, more insecure and don't have a fighter's mindset to get them more comfortable with kind of having that fighter um, switch turn on. So um, one of the things that seems to work, and I, I started doing that this year, was, uh, <clears throat> and just from some of my own, my own, uh, so I think it's important. I remember Arthur Leard said this <clears throat> when I was in grad school. Uh, I was really fortunate enough to be to see him speak in Boulder, Colorado, three weeks before he he died. And I remember he told us in the conference that he did the workouts that his athletes were doing. He like always did that, and he was like, even as an old man when they're at the Olympics, like. And he couldn't see him, but he was like, I was out there doing the stuff that they were doing just so I could feel it. And um, uh, so I've taken that really to heart because I think it's important that the people that have set the tone, uh, well, I would say it's dumb to not listen to somebody like that also. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. Really successful, successful, not smarter than him. And so I'm going to listen to what he did and we're a community. And so, uh, I try to test myself a lot. And one of the things I noticed is we tell our, we have a story going on in the background of our mind. Like we have our, we have our own narrative of our life. And so that story, um, we're telling ourselves is, can be really powerful. And so, um, so, you know, some things that just I've been doing and like changing, like, Okay, let's let's happen if I 
make myself this kind of character as I'm like doing, trying to do these things. And so, um, so one of the things we did this year is we started talking about a hero's journey as the team. And so we have team meetings and like, I have this kind of theme that was going with it. And some of the athletes that might not be naturally queued up to be a fighter, I try to make that story a little bit more intense for them. Like what character do you want to be? Like what, what hero do you want to be here? Who everybody has it. And so, um, and so if they're doing that over the course of like nine months and then there's these little moments in, in coaching at the workout where, uh, and this is stuff I learned from Dan Paff. I mean, the cueing that you give somebody, and, and this is something I hope to get a lot better at, but I've gotten better over the last nine years. When, what you say to them and when you say to them can really get that dial up. And so, um, yeah, there's a couple athletes that are like naturally a little bit more here. And, you know, I pay attention to them, start talking about like this hero's journey, talking to have a meeting in practice, I have different analogies that I pull in. We might watch some videos. Um, and you'll notice like they'll come to me and say like, oh, coach, did you see? They'll find something on YouTube that's similar to something we talked about this week. And there'll be some character. They're like, you ever see this movie or did you ever see this athlete that does this? And you're like, oh, this is what they like kind of this is what they want to be. And so when the workout's hard, maybe it's going really well. And I want that fucking like fighter, like this is when you're going to have to really engage. I'll Hopefully I'm doing my job well and I'll say something to them and I'll be like, okay, like we're hitting that button now. And so then when we're talking in pre-race, I'll be like, I'm going to be trying to, if, I, if it's a small meet, I'll be like, I'll be here at 250. Or if it's not a small meet, I was like, when you see that triangle at, you know, from 200 to go, when you, when you cross that exchange and you see that yellow triangle on the track, like that's when you're thinking about what I said to you during this workout, which is from that movie that you're watching here. And that's who you're going to be at that moment. And so, you know, you just start kind of like trying to draw that line and it's cool because, uh, the C, because the athletes, when they, when they let that flow, you know, when they fucking let it go and they're hitting, they're really engaged win or lose, they're like pretty proud of themselves. And so, and if they're fit and they're talented, you know, I don't know, 30% of the time they're going to win. Uh, so yeah, like Josh, Josh was throwing knockout punches the last 80. Maybe I should have told him to go at 110. When I watched the race the third time, I was like, Kip's thing is actually pretty, really good. So I told him the other day, I was like, I don't know if we actually messed up, if I messed up that much, because if we were wrong, and that guy smelled blood. That could be a problem. You could have been fourth. And so, you know, anyways, but he he went for it. And so it'll be easier for him to access that again in uh, if he win and if he gets a chance to race uh, Chariot and Yaka because that night when we were talking uh, at like, well, you know, because he couldn't sleep. And um, I was like, you can beat Jakob 100%. So I mean, that's the goal. And beat them. So, uh, you know, and here's kind of how I think we're going to do it. And so that's, that's, that's fun. Like it is fun to try to do that. And it's, it's fun if you're willing to lose to do that. It's fun if you're process oriented, like I, I do, it's not another probably cornerstone is like really just try to enjoy it enjoy how hard this is. And, um, yeah, so I don't get animated too much, but, 
I do when it's when it's fun. I, this is a job that I also choose to do. It's something that's been, I think, a little bit more new to me the last three years where I tell them, I'm like, hey, I want to enjoy this too. Like, I don't get paid enough to hate my job, <laughs> you know? So, um, and so when you have that a little bit of attitude and you're, you're, you are bringing joy into your work, it, it will show up on the track. I think there's like a genuine, there's a genuine smile at Josh's face. It was a very real thing. And then it was very real. He's like, I want to be on the top of that damn podium though. So you can live in both those worlds and, uh, and move forward for sure. But to answer your question, narrative, what's that talk yeah. is kind of how I, I've been looking at it. That's awesome. I mean, that's pretty powerful because you give people and athletes a very concrete, clear vision and roadmap, right? I mean, that's just hearing you explain that being like at this point, no matter how you're feeling, you know, opt in, turn on, switch in, lean in, and be like this person. And, you know, a lot of times we struggle with us individually, psychologically, because we know all our own personal failures, um, hangups, uh, you know, we ruminate on our thoughts and have just sometimes these, these negative concepts of our limitations. But if you can use that bridge and build that bridge, which you're doing, that's pretty powerful stuff for the athlete to opt in and express qualities that they esteem. Then it begets a virtuous cycle, right? They do it. They feel regardless of how they finished empowered, they're more willing to do it again and so on and so forth. The other thing I wanted to ask Danny too is, you know, you and I are of a similar camp just because of our mentorship from Dan Path. But, you know, I think what we both have learned is the importance of clear, honest, straightforward feedback delivered, you know, in a, um, uh, you know, as Steve says, non-cheerleading manner, just, you know, get to the point, you know, right away. And what a lot of people call being coached hard, right? And piggybacking what you said about Lydiard, testing yourself, like you and I have both put ourselves in situations, whether it's, um, you know, you learning jujitsu and asking your coach to coach you hard, going into boxing, I'm currently like undergoing like Russian kettlebell style training and learning how to like do a Turkish getup, kettlebell swing. And like the first thing I tell my coach, you know, I see twice a week here one-on-one is coach me hard, coach me right. Like don't sugarcoat this shit because like to me that is the worst thing. But talk about how effective that is for you to receive coaching and then also to have that transparency that you show athletes like, yeah, look, I'm getting coached. And then allows them to hopefully to, you know, be more bought in with the type of feedback and coaching you are giving to them. So, uh, I wouldn't have thought it was that interesting to them, but they bring it up a lot. So, cause I'll do some of the workouts they're doing before practice and they'll see me pulling down as they're warming up or maybe, you know, if I'm running late, they'll see me doing it. And they'll always be like, how was the workout? Because like, we got to do it. And I was like, well, it's different because you're obviously, you know, like if we put on the science brain mag, like you're like, well, my lactate threshold is <laughs> not great right now. And like, I haven't been doing everything you do. So it's not a one-to-one ratio here. Um, but, you know, I think they respect it. and Or it, it seems like they do. And uh, yeah, when I was in Albuquerque, because um, we had time because of the pandemic and, 
I was like, well, I'm going to learn. I don't see me stepping into a cage to fight, but I want to do a grapple. But I've done a grappling fight and they, a lot of them came to it and I was like, I'll try it. And so I was getting one-on-one like striking lessons and, you know, they were asking about it and I was like, well, it's really embarrassing because I'm bad at it. And I'm in this gym with a lot of people that are not bad at it, watching me do it. But I, you know, they'll ask and I'll tell them. And so I think a little bit of that is like, some of that is just inherent is if like, you know, invest in them a little bit and you're open with them as a coach about what you're doing in your life, then they'll, they'll be, if they care, they'll be a little bit interested. And so, um, I don't know how much of it is. So I think a little bit of it is them noticing and just kind of respecting that. And then I think some of it is to Lear's point where, um, in, in some of the path stuff where it's like, you're always a learner, you're always a student. And it'd be really hard for me to put myself in their shoes if I only was doing my coaching job all the time, because there's been things I've learned or just things that I forgot that were important um, that I can take from what I do outside of work in my own like competitive world that I bring back to them. I like, 40 years old the jiu-jitsu coach is 31 there are times where a few times there's been like you got a lot better at this move i noticed it and i'm like i feel pretty good about that and i wouldn't think that way well, i bring that up because i wouldn't think that i would give a shit about that i'm pretty like militaristic with things and so i remember that you know i remember that like um you know ali bahalski is going to be working out here soon and like she's gotten a lot more powerful in the weight room and so say that to her like remember you started until like because that sometimes it's not a cheerleader it's just like this is specific cueing and specific a specific encouragement so those are maybe some of the things that i i think i keep learning from just doing my own stuff um outside and and then i can bring into there and i've noticed that right away like when i started doing jujitsu i I, it helped me be a better coach because i was in their shoes now a version of it you know um and and like the staff that we have like i uh i kind of want everybody going hard like i'll send jocko posts and stuff on monday like and he's he's specific because the dude gets up at 4 30 he talks about it and he does his workout in the dark and like you know, if Sarah, who's our physiotherapist, you know, she did like, she hiked uh, this really hard hike in Albuquerque. We'll talk about it or she'll run before practice and be like, what were you doing? And Kyle, our, our nutritionist, like he's getting his work in, like we talk about that with the team. And so uh, like, that's the culture that we want. It can't be, there cannot be a link in there, the culture that isn't trying to just like push themselves. Like that's what we're all doing. And so, um, and so when you're, everybody's to some degree is on their own version of the path of like going hard, then it makes it, makes it really honest when you're talking to them. It's not, you're not having a fraudulent conversation. It's like at some level I can relate, uh, but then at some level I trust you cause you're the one in the arena. Yeah. I love it. You know, I, I think as I listen to hear, you know, listen to what you're saying, Danny, it's, it's quite clear that like you're, showing some vulnerability and then authenticity and what you're trying to pursue. And it's like, we're all pursuing different things, 
but we all have the same like accepted ideal ideal or belief or value that like doing hard things is important and we should challenge ourselves to it and i think there's i don't know there's just something to the act of doing as well you know i'm when you were telling the story of you know getting yourself coached up or trying different workouts even if you're much slower it it reminds me of this moment a couple of years ago watching you know tom telez coach on the track and he's in the middle of helping you know an athlete and he says he puts his hand up and says hey wait a minute and then this 80 i don't know 82 year old 83 year old at the time does like a sprint for an 80 year old down the track and then walks back and he's like this is what I felt like. Did you feel that? Like, what are you feeling experience? And I'm just like watching and like, this is kind of nuts, but it's also very, very cool. And I think there's just something to that act of like, you, we might not be experiencing the same thing, but we're understanding and it shows your athletes. Like we're trying to translate it. And another story that comes to mind, and maybe this is, important because it's a common thread of some really good coaches is the the story of Percy Sarity before Herb Elliott's uh, Olympic gold. Like he goes down to the warm-up track and runs an all-out 1500 as, again, a 60-something-year-old coach at the Olympics. And then he goes, tells Herb Elliott, like something of like, I just ran as hard as I could. And I think I, I ran harder than you're going to be able to, even though I'm slower. And I think there's just something magical about, you know, getting outside of, oh, I'm just on the sideline coaching and whatever into actually getting in your version of the arena that is so cool. So, man, I, I appreciate and value that. And I hope our listeners do, too. I think, too, there's also the psychology of it is you go first and you show people it doesn't kill you. Right. It's kind of like the phenomena of that first kid to jump off the high cliff or the high rocks into the pool um you know out in, when you're goofing around in the summer no one does it right no one jumps no oh, all this talk this back and forth until someone actually goes and jumps off the 20 foot cliff or the 30 foot cliff and then cannonballs in and lives to tell the tale and super excited and once people see that happen floodgates open up right so i think there's a, a powerful um you know permission that is given when they see, you know, someone older, you know, who's busting their butt just as hard and might not have the same incentives fiscally, competitively as them to say, oh, man, if this guy's doing it, then I should be able to do it, right? Yeah, there's, well, mirroring neurons are real. Mm -hmm. Modeling is real. And so, and, and there's a line with it, like Kyle Pfaffenbach, who's our nutrition supplement expert we joke about like trying not to be too try not to compare too much right. yeah i'm a hack i get it <laughs> so i'm an old hack but so that's there but um yeah like i because i'm a little bit more aware of that like um i'll involve them in the process so like when we were getting ready for the trials because I had Marta in Portugal and Josh in the UK and then the US is happening. Of course, everything's happening at once. I'm like, fuck, I'm not gonna be able to sleep. But I told him, I was like, I'm working with my therapist 
on having a strategy for these 12 days. And one of them would be like, oh, coach, have you gone to the wild duck? And I, I went a couple times because it's important to do that and hang out and socialize. But there was a couple times I didn't. And I was like, no, uh, I just had to go to bed early. And I got up and I did uh, that 200, I did 12 200s a day and took a cold shower so I can get like, cause I have six people racing and I got my shit together mm -hmm. and I'll say it to them just like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, so they're like, Oh, my coaches, or, you know, when we're getting ready, like I said, I was like, I'm having strategies and I'm like starting to get ready for war here because it's going to be 12 days that are going to be hard. Uh, and, and then like fun stuff, like I probably can do a fight in November. And I was talking to Kidder and Mia about that yesterday. I'm like, yeah, I gotta like start probably watching my nutrition see how it goes. I'm gonna start doing supplement the supplements that we do, amino acids and all that. So they can kind of like they they'll like start seeing that like I I'm not just over here like not having any understanding of how hard it is what they do, um, and we'll learn something too because you know my coach is 31 like he does tournaments and he wins, and I think it's cool. I respect that more. Yeah, hundred percent. They're trying to do it. There, there's something to say about uh, you know cooks who eat their own um, you know cooking. Like it's really important. I think. Like I always, I have, you know, unless you have some type of crippling dehabilitation, you know, even like Dan Path gets out there and runs, right? Um, you know, 30, 45 minutes a day, like or like Stu, right? You know, doing um, you know those the the month of suck where he's just trap bar deadlifting as much i mean there's a lot to be said about that and people who don't exercise that yeah i mean especially being in the physical arts like we are and not having that like you kind of you lose a little bit of like trust or respect if someone's not taking care of themselves physically and asking you to do really hard shit on a day-to-day -day basis yeah and path he's he's still dealing with some of the health stuff so but when you see the, so when you, when I see the tweet from him at like nine o'clock at night on a Sunday, having to do with peaking or doing a 200 meter, what's the benefit physiologically of doing a 200 meter wrap before a race? Um, that's him going hard from an academic standpoint. You know, I, I can't imagine your books don't mean something to your athletes, Steve. Like they, they know they, they probably joke around about the fact that you're in your free time, you're not watching, you're not always watching Netflix. I don't know what you do, but like, or you're not hanging out with your dog or your wife, like you're reading science and how to be a better coach. So like the going hard is like, you're doing it in that world too. You don't have to be like, to your point, John, like, um, physically able to do it. I think exercise is important for sure, but it can be in other realms, you know? So like when I talk about Sarah and Kyle and we just hired an assistant coach, like, that's the culture I want. Didn't have to be running. Didn't have to be fighting somebody. It could be reading, um, or studying, or whatever it is. But you just want you want to fucking push it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Let's shift gears real quick and just talk about um, you know specifically kind of the nuts and bolts of training in you know Josh's build up from when he goes into Stumptown and lays down that you know American Soil record in the fifteen hundred all the way into Tokyo talk about like opting out of um you know say some races the, the time trial you guys ch chose to do what did that you know from a nuts and bolts training standpoint what was your general what it looked like and what was your general 
um, philosophy and concept behind that buildup. So I still have a little bit of protectiveness with Josh um, in the sense that he, I hope he has a long career. Um, so yeah, when I think of the, uh, so that's part of it. Like I, that's one thing. Other thing I was looking at the NBA during COVID and injury rates and stuff like that. And I think you can over race an athlete for sure. And, um, so when I think of his age, I'm like, well, he could be 29. If we start doing everything now, maybe he's okay for Tokyo, but what does that do in six years when he's 29? Does it wear him out? Cause I think it's Simmons, how burnt out Nick was at the end of his career. He just didn't want to do anything. So I want to like kind of manage that for him, like from a, a long longevity standpoint. And then over the course of the season, I, I'm always impressed by athletes. Now who knows how they're doing it sometimes. And I'm, I know that's a little bit of sleight of hand, but I, it's true. Like if you're on from January to August, I'm like, what, what, like, care how talented you are, I'm going to a coach. Like that doesn't make sense. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to just manage that emotion. If he goes and runs Monaco or something like that, like he's got to travel there. He's going to be sleep deprived a little bit, come back. So we, we talk through that a little bit. He puts that in my court. So I want to just, I want to like, from a simple, simplistic, I want, I want to be a little bit behind going in the championships. We did it this year at the trials and worked really well. And by that, I mean, like they, I want them to be like kind of coming up as they're entering the championships from like a intensity, motivation, physical, like the workouts are just getting better. I don't want them to be plateaued. I want them this way. So I wanted to kind of go in that way, how you go, one of the ways you do this manage their race schedule. Um, and then with the, the, him running the 331 in Portland, he, that kind of goes to the fun thing is like, what, what motivates you guys? Josh really wanted that. He doesn't like code that much. I don't either. Once that North American record, he talked about it for three years. So I was like, okay, we're not doing this, these fun races that, you know, Josh would want to do. He really will get motivated about this. I don't want a season just to be this stupid race in Tokyo. I want it to be some things along the way that he can be proud of. So yeah, so we set it up for him. He earned it. He didn't fit and he wanted to get it. And that gave him confidence. It was fun for him to try it. And we, we had, an, yeah, so that, that was that simply, that's what it was. It was a good time for a checkpoint. Yeah. I want, he tried for it, went for it, put his neck out there. So we looked at it, we looked at it that way. And, and while we didn't race after the UK champs was on the other side of it, like he gets really queued up. And I wanted him to race. He didn't. He talked about it. I was like, okay, I mean, I trust you. If you don't think we need to get a look that way and we got the rounds, then uh, we won't do any races between the UK champs and, um, and London. We did that workout. Um, and I tried to put a little bit of pressure on it. But I told him, like, well, we'll just treat this like a sparring match. So, uh, you know, like, everybody is a little different with that dial. Like, he doesn't – he masks it well. Um, but the dude's at a 10 when he's getting ready, it does not matter what race it is. You can't put him out there and uh, have it not be a 10. So like he wouldn't race through some, he will from a training standpoint, but not mentally. So when we did that 805K uh, over a week span, the five didn't go that well, he was tired. And I was like, there's no way it was the 800. And then when we were talking about things between the UK champs and Tokyo, he was talking about it, not that, that window, but he was like talking about how he, is with races 
And I was like, oh, that's because the 800 might as well have been the final of the Olympics. He just doesn't have a, a nine when, when it comes to racing. <laughs> so, so I didn't want to wear him down, you know, like mentally. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting insight. And it's very clear, like you put a lot of thought into like where to turn that dial on managing the mental, emotional, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as we're wrapping up here, I want to come back to something that's related to that that you mentioned at the beginning, which is this idea of nervous system activation and getting them ready to race. I think this is a criminally under talked about underrated thing. So I was wondering maybe if you could talk just briefly about some of the strategies or tactics or drills or whatever you use uh, to get their nervous system ready for or primed for the the status of racing. So uh, there are pretty simple things and we've, I changed some stuff this year um, based on a competitor. Um, I, I try to watch what other people are doing. Um, who I think aren't cheating, you know, like, what are they doing? How do they do it? And, uh, try to learn. And so we've done a version of stuff, but, but like from a simple standpoint, yeah, like skipping, any sort of skipping is good. Any sort of light jumping is good for the nervous system. Um, sprints are great. You know, like six seconds is a little different in terms of like, it gets the motor units really highly amped. Um, could look at some stuff around potentiation for there for that um and then extending that out to like 30 seconds in duration so you know for some of the stuff before the morning of the race if it's night they'll do a version of like some jogging and some skipping to get things going um the night before they'll, they'll do some med ball work um to get their nervous system on and so on the flip side of it one of the things i tell them i was like well think about when you start tapering this probably be more relevant to like high school athletes it's like you taper and you get flat. You just like, well, I should feel really good. Well, yeah, that's your nervous system. It's probably, and now your nervous system is going to communicate with your metabolic system and your endocrine system. So now everything's coming down. So the nervous system is like, I think the most sensitive dial. So it can carry the load of the other systems in your body if you get it up. And so that's just where my head is like at with, with that dial. And you can play with it and talk to the athletes, see how they ask them how they're feeling, watch how they're feeling and adjust it. And each athlete's a little different. Like I said, Josh kind of can't stay on the whole time. Kidder probably can. Um, so, you know, there's different, they're different. Their pre-races are a little different. Mm. Love it. I think that's such a valuable insight. Um, Danny, I know you got to go. So, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on this podcast to, uh, you know, elucidate some of the things that you successfully with the beasts and Josh Kerr. I mean, it's, uh, we've both John and I have known you for a very long time, but I think what is comes across, uh, across very clearly in this conversation is the thought and care you put into what you're doing as a coach along not only just the training side but the psychological side the mental the resilience the emotional managing all that so that you know your athletes are in a position to perform the other thing i just want to point out for our listeners to kind of put a pin in is 
listen to the the cross domain thinking that Danny just displayed, pulling ideas from the NBA and MMA and you know all sorts of different sciences, and not just getting stuck in into kind of our world of of distance running, which is easy to do. So another important lesson for coaching. And once again, Danny, thanks for uh, taking the time. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again, guys.